following Dharma talk was presented at Common Ground Meditation Center, Minneapolis, Minnesota, as part of the weekly Dharma series. So this morning I want to speak about a topic that is useful in our life, both our life on the cushion, but our life within our families, in our workplace, in our relationships, in our neighborhoods. And it is the quality of equanimity. And it's often misunderstood, so I want to try to give some examples and some understanding of it so that you can see the value of it in our own life. Imagine that you lived in Japan five weeks ago, and your life is going along pretty normal. You've got your family, and you've got your job, and you've got your house, and you've got your circle of friends and familiar activities. And then one day, the tsunami. The earth shifts, and the tsunami comes washing through your village through your life and it just wipes out so much of what is familiar and that we rely on for our security and our sense of safety and our sense of well-being in life. Well, we can have a lot of compassion for those people that are suffering with that condition. And it can, if we reflect on it a little bit, it can provoke a little anxiety in ourselves. Like, what if I had been there? Or, I don't think we're going to have any tsunamis anytime soon in Minneapolis, but each one of us has little tsunamis come rolling through our life. You know, we get, a, we get sick, or we lose a job, or our child gets sick, or neighbors, kind of difficult to deal with. There are many tsunamis, but they threaten our sense of well-being, our sense of safety, our sense of ease in the world, changes our relationship with others, and we can't, we can't avoid all of those many tsunamis in life. They're going to come. You know, they're going to they're gonna happen. We can't control other people and we can't avoid them and we can't construct any kind of safety net that keeps it all outside of our experience. And so when you think, if you'd been in Japan at that time, who would you want to be with you in a situation like that? You'd want someone who is very calm, someone who's very understanding, someone who's very compassionate, somebody who had a lot of energy because they would know, they'd have the energy to respond, somebody who was creative because when things are unpredictable, you want to be able to take advantage of whatever comes up. And we look at these qualities and maybe the most important of them 
is you'd want someone who was not hysterical, overwhelmed, you know, blaming. I don't know if you blame or something like that. Because that is just really ineffective and an unproductive and really a burdensome reactivity to the way things are. Instead, we'd want somebody who is balanced. This kind of balance, someone who can grok it, somebody who can take in the situation, see what the resources are, see what needs to be done, and then do it in a very calm, confident, energetic way. That quality is equanimity. It's the balance of mind that doesn't get lost in the reactivity of anger and blaming. It doesn't get lost in the reactivity of feeling like you should be entitled to something better. It shouldn't be happening to me. This shouldn't be happening. Well, it is. And it's the state of mind that is able to really take it in and see what is a, a balanced and therefore an appropriate response rather than just an emotional reaction. We might have our emotional reactions like, oh my, oh my Buddha, I can't believe it. Like, this is a disaster. Ah. Well, yeah, it is. And okay, roll up your sleeves, take a look at the situation, and start picking up the mess. Wow. That kind of quality of mind, we can see, we can already feel that being with someone like that or when we have those qualities or when we see them in others, we recognize what a benefactor, what a savior, if you will, what a, what a help it would be to have access to that quality of mind rather than being burdened with, you know, oh, poor me, why did it happen to me? It shouldn't be happening to me. Who's the, who caused this mess in my life anyway? That's really a burdensome uh, reaction that just doesn't doesn't really leave us feeling very safe or empowered in our life. We just sat for half an hour. And even though the instructions are clear, we'll just pay attention to what's coming up. Don't get too, don't get too jazzed about it. Don't get too reactive. And uh, when you notice that you've been spaced out, just just start again. <laughs> Difficult to do, but even as we try to do that and fail miserably, there's an important thing happening. We see that. And the mind has got all kinds of little reactions. Oh, my knee hurts. Oh, when's you going to ring that bell? And why don't they stop moving? Why didn't they come on time? You know, just all kinds of little. And well, we can't do anything about it because we're sitting here quietly, and the bell hasn't rung yet. And every time we don't react to something that's kind of niggling us, we strengthen equanimity. And so, unbeknownst to you, gradually, imperceptibly, equanimity, non-reactivity, is getting stronger and stronger 
and stronger. It takes a while, frankly, before it's so noticeable that somebody can slam the door or somebody can take your cushion and you don't get upset. It, it, it takes a while. But bit by bit, gradually, moment by moment, we're training the mind to see the way things are. Not to be in denial of it, not to be afraid of it, not to be reactive to it, but to see, oh, oh this is the way it is. It's unpleasant, it's unfamiliar, it's unwelcome, it's irritating. It's Okay, got to deal with it. Okay. And if we ask ourselves, can I bear with this? Can I bear with this person sitting beside me breathing hard? <laughs> can I bear with this person that slammed the door? Can I bear with this, you know, achy knee? Can I bear with this headache? Can I bear? If we ask ourselves, can we? Can I bear it? Can I be with it? Can I just kind of tolerate it for a while? We can. We always can. But if we don't ask ourselves, it feels overwhelming. It feels like I. Stand it. I guess I gotta get out of here, but I can't yet. <laughs> but if you ask yourself, is this so bad that I really can't deal with it? I really can't bear it. We have immense capacity. The mind, our hearts, just has immense capacity to take it in and to live up to the greatness. That is within our human potential. And if we just look around the world, we see what men and women and children and kids and young adults are facing and living with in certainly the Middle East, which is going through some transition, or Burma, as I spoke with some of you over the weekend, or in other third world countries, or even in. <coughs> the third world section of Minneapolis. We could face any of that at any time. And we see how courageous people are in being willing to acknowledge the truth. And we see how creative they are in finding a way to address the challenges of their life. And we see that, you know, in spite of how bad it looks, people find a way to be at ease and content with themselves and with conditions. And we can too. Most of us live pretty good lives. I mean, we're living in the West and we have the discretionary time to even come to a situation like this. That's that's pretty good, you know. I know it's not that good. <coughs> or we could say, as bad as it gets, we're still living at the top of the heap of humanity. As bad as it gets, we're in that the best it gets. So when we recognize that and just inquire, can we live up to the potential within us. It is unworthy of us 
to whinge and whine and bitch and moan and piss and complain about, well, frankly, insignificant irritations. So, when we look at the gradual development of equanimity, the gradual development of the ability to see the truth, to recognize our potential, and to meet the moment with understanding, patience, creativity, contentment, ease, what does it do? What does it bring for us? Well, there's whole areas of our life that come into balance. For example, some of us are just driven to distraction by endless activity. That's not very balanced. We need to rest. We need to pull back. We need to withdraw. We need to disengage. When equanimity is in the mind, or when, as equanimity develops in our mind, we can sense the appropriateness of when to engage and when to disengage. And it's not like one is right and one is wrong. It's a spectrum. And to find the place in the middle between over-engagement or over-disengagement is to find the middle path. And the teachings of the middle path are what the Buddha taught. Rather than head to the extremes, find a place in the middle and stay in balance. So too, within our own heart, sometimes we find that our emotions are just so compelling and so overwhelming and so commanding of our behavior. And we know that that's not always easy, and it's often causes a lot of suffering. It's very intense. It's very dramatic. And on the other hand, we know people, and sometimes we ourselves, are so logical and so rational and so cut and dried that we can't feel much. Either one of those is not terrain that's unfamiliar to us. We know. We've been there. We've been to both ends of the extreme. But when we're able to move, navigate that spectrum with ease and appropriateness and know when and how much to open to our emotions and follow them and how much to temper our emotions with rational, logical thought, then again, we find the place of balance. We find the place of non-reactivity. We're not jerked around by either end of the spectrum. This is balance of mind. This is an equanimous mind. That's what equanimity allows us in our life. Sometimes we find ourselves very inward. You know, even just for an hour today, we're kind of spending time with ourselves Maybe you like periods of time every day where you do your practice silently, quietly, alone, inward. Maybe you take a period of time each year to do a retreat. <coughs> Not if you have a lot of kids, but your time will come. <laughs> but then there's other times when, you know, the inward life is like, forget it, I'm out there. And we're engaged and we're socially active, we're politically active, we're economically 
participating in the life of our community, and that seems appropriate. And yet, we all know that can get burdensome. It can, can lead to burnout, and we need to withdraw, and we need to go in and recharge our batteries, knowing when it's appropriate to move from excessive outer engagement <coughs> to more inner attention, knowing that is the function of an equanimous mind. When we value equanimity, we'll make those adjustments in a timely fashion, in a timely way. Equanimity is, as we can see, or as we hear, can be really valuable in just maintaining personal balance in our life. But we don't get a lot of encouragement for it. We don't get a lot of exposure to it. We don't get a lot of uh, public figures, whether they're in Washington, Wall Street, or Hollywood, displaying equanimity for us. And so we might think that, oh, this is equanimity is for wimps. You know, it's for people who don't have a nice, strong, solid, opinionated, decisive political, social, economic position. Because our culture, you know, when you listen to the news or you, you, you pay attention to the quality of the political, social discourse in this country, it is hyper-partisan, very extreme on both ends of the spectrum, and there's very little discourse about the place in the middle, the value of equanimity, the value of non-reactivity, the kind of calm, clear communication that can solve problems rather than stake out positions. If we think that that's the way to live, and we just get hyper-partisan and hyper-opinionated in our personal relationships, in our work, in our social interactions, and in civic participation. And, well, we're going to suffer. We're going to suffer. Because it's not tenable for very long. It's just not the way a sense of well-being is maintained in your life. And we all want a sense of well-being. We all want to be you know, safe, secure, connected, participate, empowered, worthwhile, valued, respected. And these are all part of kind of an enduring sense of well-being that comes from really cultivating and practicing equanimity in your life. When I talk about, or when I mention a sense of well-being or an enduring sense of well-being, it's not that we're going to avoid the difficulties, the challenges, the pain, physical, mental, emotional, financial, economic, and relationship-wise, that inevitably comes in life. We're not going to avoid that can't be done. But a sense of well-being needn't be destroyed or fractured or broken because of challenging or painful situations. 
when we have a sense of balance in our life, sure, conditions can kind of threaten and kind of throw us for a loop, but the momentum of well-being stabilizes us quickly. But we have to be willing to carry the weight of our life in our hearts. Not avoiding, not denying, not dismissing, not pretending otherwise, not not kind of handing it off to anybody else, but just to carry the weight of th- this is my life. This is what it's about. These are the people in my life. These are the challenges in my life. And it's, you know, it's my responsibility to handle this and to do the best I can and to be, to let that be good enough. So that we are a benefactor to ourselves, and that we're a benefactor to those that we share life with, rather than a burden and demanding and needy. And, and frankly, we're, we're that also at times, but not all the time. We need a sense of self-reliance, and we need to be able to depend on others. Another area of finding the balance in your life. If you're, t- you know, I'm from New England, and you know, we are self-reliant to a fault. And it's like, you know, it's a hellish burden to kind of carry, to be so self-reliant that you can't even accept help, let alone, accept help, let alone ask for it when it's needed. I wouldn't wish it on any of you. I don't know what your prevailing uh, cultural norm is here. Maybe it's even worse. <laughs> but I think I remember, you know, to survive a winter in the Midwest, you know, you need to rely on everybody. So, okay. But when we're aware of the weight of our life, when we're aware of the range of our life, and the life's experiences, we can accept, we can acknowledge, this is the way it is for me. And that's why practice is so important. Even a little, a little bit each day, it's just practicing being willing to acknowledge this is the way it is for me for now. Whatever it is. And if we can remind, remind ourselves to do that for half hour a day or check in a few times a day, it strengthens the mind tremendously for the inevitable trouble ahead. And it gives us a sense of confidence, a sense of empowerment, a sense of ability, a sense of purpose, a sense of a willingness to be creative just by not denying our life. And the practice is so simple. Sit down, pay attention. And your life comes into view. Sure, your life comes into view when you meet your neighbor, when you go to work, when you go to the store, when you, whatever you do. But the inner life comes into view when you sit down and pay attention. And that's where we discover our reactivity. That's where we see our indignation, our rage, 
our opinionatedness, our fear, our demands, our sense of entitlement, our sense of being a victim. So, you know, and that's where we do the work. Not by acting it out, not by foisting it off on somebody else, but really in the quiet of our own heart, seeing it, feeling it, accepting, acknowledging it, and just tolerating it. Equanimity is invaluable, just invaluable. I'll tell one story. Some of you have heard the story, but some of you haven't. I and my wife own a piece of property in Maui where we're creating a small Dharma sanctuary. And we were unable to get a building permit for our meditation hall until we got a better water supply to the land for fire suppression. So we and our neighbors got together and made a proposal to the local water district that we would improve the line to our property if they would give us water meters and thereby we'd meet the requirement, get our permit, build the meditation hall. So they agreed. And over the course of many years, we got a design and raised the money that we thought was necessary and started building. But it was at a time when everything was more expensive than we thought. Everybody was employed a few years ago, and everything was costing us more. So it looked like the price was going to go out of our reach, well over a million dollars. So we said, wow. And I drew up a list of possible cost reductions to propose to the engineers at the water department. So I went to the water department. I called for a meeting with the deputy director and went to the water department to discuss reducing the cost of financial obligation. And there was a few engineers and the deputy director there and me. So I said, on item number one, we we're supposed to build a 10,000-gallon water tank. It cost $250,000. Could we uh, build a 1,000-gallon tank? and save $150,000. They had their discussion. They referred to the specifications of what's needed to water systems. And they came back and said, no, sorry, that's not going to be possible because of page four regulation number XYZ. Can't be done. Okay. Well, how about, you know, we've got an eight-inch line serving six houses. I mean, I mean, seven houses. It's like... That's more water than we could ever possibly use. Could we reduce that to a six-inch line, saving, you know, $150,000? Again, they had a discussion how, what the elevation drop, how many feet were running, blah, 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 blah. <coughs> no, I'm sorry. We're not going to be able to uh, let you do that. And it went on like that for another few topics that I had proposed. And after about 20 minutes, the deputy director looked at me in this room full of suits and said, uh, you're old enough to know. You don't need me to remind you. Life's unfair. <laughs> Luckily, I'd been practicing mindfulness for 30, 35 years. 
And I watched my mind try out every possible response <laughs> to that comment. Indignation, rage, anger, shame, humiliation, fists, <laughs> anything, anything. Until, and I, I just was sitting there, it seemed like half hour. Kind of, watching, kind of stunned, really. Just like, he didn't say that, did he? Yes, he did. Okay. And then my mind arrived at this understanding. This is the way it is right now. This is the way it is. And the corollary of that understanding is, well, this can be dealt with. I didn't know how at the time. But it came right with the acceptance and the acknowledgement of this is the way it is. It's not what I want. It's not what I hope for. And they seem like they're real officious about it. <laughs> and, but, oh, okay, topic number seven. And on we went with the rest of the list. And, of course, nothing was approved. I saw then how important, I mean, I, I know, I saw then how important it is to have stabilized my mind through practice, to have seen all the things that have provoked me to rage and impatience and judgment and fear and anger. And, <coughs> and I've had a lot of practice not getting caught in them. So that when somebody's right in my face saying, <laughs> life's unfair. <laughs> You know, and he meant to say, deal with it. You know. It was okay. It was okay. None of us want to hear that. None of us want to be told that. None of us want to be shamed like that or humiliated or whatever. But it happens. So, let me say to you, deal with it. And we deal with it by sitting on your butt, watching your mind for half an hour a day. And that's how we develop the equanimity to endure what we don't like, what we don't want. That is going to inevitably come. It's going to happen. Maybe you don't have to deal with the deputy director of the water department, but you're going to have to deal with somebody. And other conditions that are unpredictable and equally immovable. And we can, we can have the self-confidence, the sense of enduring well-being, and we can have the creativity that comes from a non-reactive mind. A mind that doesn't jump to the extremes of reactivity or passivity, but stays connected and is willing to meet the moment as it is. Not to overcome it, not to deny it, not to avoid it, not to change it, but to just meet, just to bring your mental energy right to the point of this is the way it is. And let your mind find the response rather than get caught in a deeply habituated reaction. This is our challenge. This is our opportunity. And this is our practice. Time's up. <laughs>
or very nearly so, I guess until the children come to the door. But if there's a comment or a question on anything I've said, uh, please. Uh, seems like we've got a couple of minutes anyway. Sure. Uh, just practicing patience is a good way to develop equanimity. And practicing eyes open, engaged with the world. Noticing, you walk down the street and noticing what provokes you to irritation, anger, excitement, you know, in any of them. And just see what it is and to notice the quality of mind, quality of heart, when you're caught in reactivity. Either getting entangled with desire or aversion, or just kind of like withdrawing passively to be the doormat of the world that's going to just wipe its feet on you. Sometimes we find ourselves at either end of the extreme. And when we notice that and just say, wait a minute, wait a minute, let me come back to the center here. What's appropriate response? The, the benefit of doing a quiet inner practice is we see things more sensitively. We see things more subtly. We see things that aren't always apparent when we're out in the world engaged with others. We feel our heart maybe a little more honest, honestly sometimes. And that's important to really strengthen our mind at the most sensitive place that it goes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I was with you until the part of politics. <laughs> that, uh, you know, to strike a balance when one group of people are trying to do things so much further in an extreme. Wh- which direction are they moving it? About the extreme part. Yeah. The extreme part. Yeah. Right. Suddenly, the center has shifted. And if you're just going to sit there, well, that's compromising. I mean, I'm old enough to remember in 1963, Buddhist monks in Saigon being doused with uh, gasoline and setting themselves on the fire. I didn't see that as a movement in the center because the political situation was so extreme there that they had to make a point. So uh, are we just going to let people get away with destroying the country as we knew it by their political agenda in the interest of compromise and equanimity? I, I didn't mention the word compromise. No, I think when we look at the, and I'm going to tread lightly here, I think when we look at the political situation, we can see that there is a lot of energy on either end of the extreme, either end of the spectrum both left and right, or up and down, whatever, however you want to do it. And for us personally to maintain a sense of well-being, we have to watch how reactive we get to the vocalization from both ends. We still have to vote. We still have to participate. We still have opinions. 
and 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 we don't need to get rid of them. We don't need to kind of abandon them and say, oh, okay, I'll move halfway towards you and halfway away from them. But we do need to see our own mind's reaction so that we can... And and I'm sure many of you have had this kind of experience. You know, you sit down, you're, you're, you're doing your practice, whether you're on retreat or not, and you've got a problem. You've got a problem in your life. You've got a problem at work. And it's just going, in some relationship, it's just going around and around. And you know the story. And you've, you've tried this. You've tried that. You just can't find a way to resolve it satisfactorily. It, it's just... And you're just sitting there watching your mind go... And then you forget it. You space out. And it picks it up again. They see something else. And then something happens where... Oh! Well, this is how I could do it. And you find the mind going to a place that's not in between, it's not even coming from the same place that you were looking at the problem. Your mind just jumps to another way of looking at the situation where you don't need to solve the question, you don't need to answer the question or solve the problem that you've been entangled with because you understand the whole situation differently. Where does that insight come from? Well, it comes from not getting caught in either extreme, not being partisan, not trying to kind of manage or or decide, but just holding energy of disagreement, holding all that energy of no resoluteness, no resolution, I should say, and and just letting your mind be with that. It can find you. Your mind can do something that you cannot do. It can find a way to reconcile apparent opposites or paradoxical positions. And your mind can do that, but not from thinking. I know that sounds like magical, magical thinking. But I have seen it over and over again, and people mention it to me over and over again that the ability of the mind that can hold everything is a sense of uh, balance and a sense of ease. And it's not that we get, we, we want to be careful not to get reactive because when we react, we cut off, we shut out whole sections of our mind and our life. Huh, okay, how are we going to include all that and find a resolution that encompasses everything? I'm just going to follow up on that. When one asks about when one way or the other is detached from the fiery rhetoric and just kind of look at the issues at hand and critically do some critical analysis of what you see going on. That would help. You know, one of my students was um, uh, uh, lived in uh, New Mexico and he was passionate about getting the capital punishment abolished. You know, getting, you know, the where they terminate people for crimes. And he was just passionate about it. He was speaking all over the country and speaking a lot in New Mexico. Try to get a law passed to prohibit capital punishment. And he was, you know, speaking to the choir most of the time or preaching to the choir most of the time. And I said to him, I said, what you need to do is you need to learn how to speak to the opposition 
not just to provoke them or to shame them or to humiliate them, but to show them where you're coming from, where your heart is coming from. They may not agree. They may not be able to agree publicly. But you know what? New Mexico abolished the death penalty. New Mexico abolished capital punishment. You just keep keep heading in the direction that you that that you think is the way to establish an enduring sense of well-being for everyone. If you do that, you'll find a way that's not yet apparent. Kind of what? Delusion. delusion, yeah. You know, so you hold on to the notion that everything changes, and whatever happens tomorrow, it's going to fire, something will come after it. Mm-hmm. That alone can reduce the degree of stress. Wisdom is amazing. <laughs> you know, when we really are willing to see this is the way it is, and really acknowledge it, then we come out of all kinds of delusions and misinformation and you know, uh, fear-based decision-making. You know, fear-based, you know, just look in your own life to how much fear moves you around in making your decisions and you'll get a sense of where others who are fear-based in their decision-making are coming from. It's scary. They just haven't hooked the tight pieces in. Here they come. Yeah. See? So we'll be singing uh, some songs on page 44 if anybody wants to join in. If any of the children want to sit up front and help with the singing, that would be great. Where do you want to sit? We're just going to have to sit on the floor. They're going to help us with the hand gestures for our song.
Thank you so much, Steve, for speaking this morning.